This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, you learned how BrilliantBusinessMoms.com used Pinterest to power her business. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that built a business with a 100% remote team. In this episode, you'll learn why you should hire someone full-time when you're still working your day job, how to communicate with a remote team, and how to work backwards to achieve your goals. Today, I'm joined by Cattell Ledoux, the executive director at abookapart.com. Abookapart sells brief books for people who make websites and was started in 2010. And it's a completely remote company, but with headquarters in New York, New York. Welcome, Cattell. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit more about the, the company and what kind of books exactly are you, do, you, do you guys sell? Uh, so it's funny that you mentioned that we make brief books for people who make websites. Um, feel like that's kind of changing uh, a little bit as you know the industry grows, and we're just recently kind of realizing that it's it's really for people who work on the web in general and kind of you know in quote unquote the digital space. So um, the all the books are web design resources, and it really covers um, subject matter covers everything from. Programming languages, like the first couple books were on HTML5 and CSS3, um, to responsive web design. That was one of our, you know, kind of our landmark books. Um, but uh, also covers content strategy, um, design theory, um, you know, typography. And some of our recent um, releases were on Git, which is a really, you know, really good subject and that a lot of people wanted to, you know, norm, know more about. So mm-hmm. um, they're all about 100 to 150 pages. So I think that was also um, a thing that we wanted to do as, as part of, you know, launching a book apart was make it really approachable. Yeah, I, I like that idea of making it approachable. I think a lot of times when we are, when people are maybe out there that is listening, they're creating books or informational kind of based products, or even not that, maybe just physical products. We we think that the more the better, the more features you cram into it, the more the longer the book, the better. But it sounds like you guys found that that isn't the direction you want to go. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what does it mean to keep it a brief and concise and a, approachable? Like, why do you why why that approach? Yeah, definitely. I think when um, when Mandy Brown, Jason Samaria, and Jeffrey Zeldman started the company in 2010, there was you know there was a need for um, some resources like this that were kind of more like handbooks that you could reach for and dive into, learn something, and kind of really put it to work right away. Mm-hmm. And I think um, at the time, and, and even now, you know, there are a lot of really great resources out there, uh, but they're, they're often kind of comprehensive and, and hefty and, you know, you kind of have to sit down with them and, and pour through them. Um, and the original kind of, you know, pitch was you can get on a plane in New York and by the time you land, you know, for a client meeting or something in uh, LA, you'll have, you know, brushed up on mm, SAS or, cool. you know, gotten a little bit um, more of a handle on, you know, content strategy and, and you're kind of a little bit more prepared for the job you're doing or, uh, you know, a part of a job that you're learning um, for the first time. So I think that was, that was really important. Um, and it's been, it's proven really, you know, successful. And I think that it, uh, you know, not only is it approachable because they're kind of easy to pick up and and read, but um, I think that it it just opens itself up to a you know a bigger audience because you it's almost like not as much of a commitment you know you can kind of like get into it and get what you need out of it. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good point about how you really have to know your the customers that you're, you're going after. If you make it daunting or really complex, whether it's a book in your case or uh, a physical product, you definitely narrow the market, right? Because you need more expertise or more skills or need to be further along in your in your skills or whatever it is that you that you as a company is selling uh, to your customers. Um, it, it really narrows the market because now the the general public, the people that are kind of 
of next newbies to the space for using your product, whether it be a book or a physical product, that's going to be large. But as you make it more and more complex, the market's going to shrink because there's going to be less people that feel comfortable, you know, diving into something like a really complex book or a really complex product. So I think that makes total sense. Right. Yeah. So um, when did you when did you uh, join a book apart? So I I joined in March of 2013. Uh, so the company was about three years old, and um, yeah, I, you know, I came on to really kind of just officially, you know, start running the business uh, more more formally um, because it was it was more or less a side project for the the co founders that started it, which was uh, you know a really amazing feat because they were you know putting putting books out that were you know that take a lot of obviously effort and um, really good you know high quality. Uh, content and you know production time, but um, yeah. So I think they realized that it was it was you know it's really becoming successful enough that it could uh, you know it could benefit from having someone come on and kind of steer the ship a little bit. Very cool. So how did you um, find out about a book apart? Was it you were just saying there was a kind of a side project at the time before you came in and, and helped turn it into into an actual business? Um, what I guess how did you find out about it? Um, well, the, essentially, a, you know, a book apart was born out of there, there. We have two sister companies. One is a list apart, which is the online magazine, uh, and an event apart, which is the conference series that happens every year in you know about eight to, to ten cities a year. So there was um, there was kind of this this initial baseline of you know, people who were writing and speaking about these topics. So I think it was kind of a natural evolution of, you know, wanting to um, offer this expertise and this information in a different, you know, in a new format. I had been following uh, a list apart and an event apart for a while. I've, you know, I've worked in um, media and publishing for a, a good portion of my career. So I think I, I had already known about them and I, and I followed a lot of the people who were running those, those businesses and contributing as, you know, as authors and speakers. So I'd been following those people for a while and I, I just really knew I knew their work and I really admired it. So I think when the opportunity opportunity arose where I could potentially be become a, a real part of that, I was just, you know, super excited. And I, and I thought I'm going to just go for it. Mm-hmm. So when does it make sense for a company to, well, before I ask this question, what did you, I guess, what, what did you do once you, let's say the very first week or month that you joined the company, like what, what were some things that you were focusing on, on kind of, I guess, adding to, to a book apart? Um, yeah, I, I think the, the thing that I spent the most time on in the very beginning was really just getting, you know, not just getting the lay of the land of, of where things were, but really kind of identifying like, what are the things that I can spend time doing for, you know, the next three, six, nine, you know, 18 months that is, is going to basically build a really good solid foundation for the business and the, the company to, to grow from. And I think that was one of the, the big things that, um, when I came on, that was a, a desire, you know, we, they were successful and the company was really, um, doing what the original goals, you know, had been set up to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a, there was a desire and a, you know, a question around like, can we scale this? Can we grow it a little bit? So I, I spent a lot of that first, um, bit of time, you know, really just putting some processes into place and building that foundation and making sure there were, you know, there were really like good, easy communications in place so that, you know, every, everyone knew what was going on and kind of like, um, having, having a little bit more of a, of a hub and a dashboard of, um, you know, I guess trying to create like a little bit of a North star for, Mm. um, everyone working on the individual parts of the, the business. Yeah, I like that. Um, so when I think this is a stage that I think uh, maybe a lot of listeners are at where they have some income coming in from a store, but they really consider it a side project because they already have maybe a day job that they're working on and they're ready to 
make that jump yet or their their company's not at that point where it's an actual business where they're comfortable enough making that jump. So I think when you came in is exactly where a lot of listeners are at. Um, but let's say someone is out there that that is able to hire somebody to help them out uh, with, with basically your role. When does it make sense? You know, because if you're, you have a side project, you probably can't afford somebody to work full time. But at which stage did you find a book apart at when you came in? Yeah. And I think that is, that is the thing. It's always, you know, it's really scary, um, to, to kind of take on, a you know, a, a staff person, a, an employee of the company that's really going to be there full time. But I think, um, when I came on, it was this critical point where it was either going to remain a side project and, you know, kind of who, there was a question mark around, you know, how much or how uh, big or, you know, how many books we could put out. And I think when I came on, it was just the the other path was, okay, we can bring someone on and, you know, actually put, um, put, put energy and resource into, um, having someone like, you know, steer things, but in a way that kind of collates all of the, the work that they had already done. I mean, I came on and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was starting from scratch. There was already a big, uh, a big audience that we were working with, which was great. And there were obviously already, um, workflows in place that were, that were producing, you know, books on a regular basis. So I just was, you know, I took those things and kind of streamlined them. Um, and now it's allowed us to kind of work with a lot more freelancers, a lot more different folks. I think it's, it's kind of just like evolved that, um, the, the way we work remotely, which was a big part of, you know, of, of where we started. So I think it's, it's the, the root of it is it's, it's difficult and it's scary to kind of make that decision. But I think, um, if there's a point at which it feels financially comfortable enough to make that decision, it's, it's a good decision. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can start with, what is the one role that we need, you know, at least the one role that we need that's going to like really change the, you know, change the company or help us get, move further in the direction we want to go. Yeah. And let's talk about this role a little bit, because I think um, as founders and when we think about entrepreneurs, we think about other people that are founding companies, we think of them as the person that does everything, especially at the beginning, right? They're the idea person, that come with the idea, that come with a vision and they're going on executing everything, organizing everything. But that's kind of a limit, right? You can't, you can't always be doing everything and maybe you don't necessarily have the skills to do everything and you should look to invest your time into the things that uh, you're most skilled at, that you, that is most valuable for you and then hire out for the, the roles or the, the skills that you don't currently have. So I guess why would a, um, a founder look to hire someone like an executive director? I don't mean this to make it sound like a, a job interview, but I just want to get a better understanding <laughs> of like what, if someone's sitting here and thinking like, um, I mean, I really feel like my business is stagnating and I don't know. And you were saying before about finding the role that it's going to have the most impact. If they're sitting there and thinking between, oh, should I hire a a CEO essentially, or should I hire somebody for like a CFO? Like how do they make the decision on, on, you know, which role to go for and why would they pick an executive director? Yeah. And I, when I, you know, when I initially came on, it was the, the role was managing, managing director, which, you know, has, I mean, we're not really uh, worried about roles or what they're called, but I think that I just, I just note that because I think that encompassed and it still encompasses um, kind of a, a role that would be able to kind of a generalist role that would be able to kind of come in, help um, prioritize the things that, you know, maybe needed to happen before other things. So like, you know, just making sure that there were uh, communications plans in place when we did book launches or, you know, marketing plans and making sure those things were, you know, in front of everyone and, and really just kind of like, figuring out what the tools were that we needed to work efficiently with, you know, with a lot of people that, that were remote. And, and I think this isn't to say that, you know, when I came on, it wasn't, it wasn't working. It definitely was. I think the reason that I, that they decided on having someone come in at that, at that level and that, you know, that again, I think, as a generalist more, rather than, you know, a, uh, a dedicated editor or, um, you know, a designer or something like that, um, was 
just to kind of corral all the other, the, like a lot of little things that needed to happen. Um, and I think part of that was just having, you know, I have, a, I have an English and editing background. So I, I think there was just like a good fit where I could see all the different pieces and then help prioritize. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that they didn't, you know, didn't want to do those things. Like I said, it was a side product project. So they were already, you know, those three founders were already like in full-time jobs or, you know, doing other things full-time. So it was kind of like, okay, we need at least one person to focus on this full-time. Mm. And that's really smart. You can't, you know, again, I think it's that decision between, okay, we can kind of keep this going or we can, you know, see how, um, how much we can grow this if we put a dedicated resource to, to, to focusing on that. Yeah, I, I like that. And this is a, a quote that I've heard that I would love your kind of thoughts on, which is that if you hire somebody for half of their time, they give you a quarter of their effort. Uh, I guess meaning that when you don't have someone fully dedicated onto just one thing, they're kind of spread amongst all these other different things that they're working on, whether other gigs or other projects they're working on. And that has a, an effect, not just because your time is split, but then the switching between all those things and just having all that stuff in your head, it's not going to be an efficient use of your, your I guess, your brain as I mean, if you were a, a, a employee that was just working part-time. What are, your, what are your thoughts on right. that? Yeah, I think that's really, it's true. And it's, it's really tough. I think if you have, you know, if you have, um, like you said, someone who's, or, you know, a handful of people who are kind of thinking about and working on a, a thing, particularly something that's product-based, um, you know, for a percentage of their time, um, it, I think it moves incrementally along. Whereas if you have someone who, you know, even if it is just one person and, and granted, you know, I, I think like my, our vision is to grow, grow the team, grow the business, you know, have um, a few more people who are actually, you know, staff and kind of have that 100% energy. Um, but I think if you have um, at least one person focusing on that, especially when it's running the actual business, I, I think that is one thing that, um, a lot of folks, and I've, I've been there too, where you kind of think it's fine. We'll just all pull together and we'll make it happen. And you can, I think it, it just doesn't happen quite as well, or, um, maybe with as much, um, you know, impact and focus as if you have one person who's kind of keeping their eyes on what the horizon is and what the goals are and what, you know, and really like seeing is everyone else aligned on that? And does everyone know <laughs> where we're all going? Yeah, I like that. That um, the uh, one thing interesting about this situation that you're in is that I think that what you were saying earlier was the the founders, the co-founders were all working on the business on the side. They had full time jobs, but then hired someone else that wasn't a you know founder to run the business full time. Is I mean I've never heard of, never heard of that situation before. I think you hear about it all the time from like um, maybe like a, an entrepreneur that then decided to hire someone like a CEO uh, to run the company other than them. But this seems like a particularly different situation where they're working full time and most people out there that are listening are probably thinking, I can't wait till I can quit my job and work on it full time <laughs> rather than hire someone else to work on it full time. What right. are your thoughts on like that kind of, I guess, the trade off between you yourself as an entrepreneur going full time versus keep on doing what you're doing, whether it be a day job or whatever else you're working on mm -hmm. and then hire someone else to run the business? Yeah, I think, you know, and I think what they did and what they do is, is really hard. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I would have been able to make that decision yeah. in, in their shoes. Um, because just of, because of what you said, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are, are in the position where things are starting out and they're like, what do I do? Do I commit to this full time or, you know, don't I? But I think they were so smart in what they did because, they wanted to be able to do all of those other things. They didn't, you know, at the time they, they didn't want to just focus on, you know, uh, necessarily a book apart or a list apart or an event apart or, you know, the other myriad things that they were working on. They wanted to have that ability to, um, you know, to kind of do all of those things. So I think that was really smart and kind of, um, it, it's almost like, 
if I think about it for myself, you know, I want to do everything. So to take a step back and say, okay, we need to bring someone in here who, if, if we're not going to do it, or, you know, if we're not in a position to do it, then we need to bring in someone who is like a hundred percent in, you know, ready to go, going to treat this like it's theirs. Um, and that was really smart because I, you know, I, I happened to feel that way. And I think it was, it was a really good fit. And we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of interviewing and questions and, and conversation leading up to me coming on board, which was a big part of it. But um, yeah, I think, like I said, it's, it's kind of letting that go and figuring out what is, what's the most valuable thing I can do for the business. Yeah, no, I think it's a super smart decision. It just was, I can imagine just being such a hard decision, like you're saying, because it's your baby, you're the one that started it. Why would you, you know, give this to someone else, not just give it to someone else. But again, going back to what the listeners are probably thinking is that they want to become an entrepreneur or start their own business because they want their own time back. But you know, in this situation, they the the founders are already working on doing something else, and this book apart at that time was a side project. You know, rather than kind of setting up the business in a way where they could work on a full time, they decided to hire someone else full time to do. And I think that is a, a definitely a hard decision, but um, you know, it seems to be playing out the right way. You know, it, it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at your situation objectively, look at your skills objectively, look at your goals objectively and make that hard decision to do it. So, you know, definitely um, agree with that. So I want to talk a little bit about, I know your experience early on, again, because I think a lot of the the listeners out there are uh, in the stage where they have something brewing on the side, but want to turn to an actual business. And you said that when you first came in, you wanted to really lay out a three-month, six-month, 12-month, 18-month plan and figure out, kind of organize everything. How do you? How how did you approach that? You know, what were some tips on how to come in and look at your look at a side project objectively and kind of roadmap out where it should be in let's say eighteen months? Yeah, I think that the most important thing um, was was sitting down, obviously, with the you know with the co- with the founders and understanding what their vision was and what their goals were and what, you know, what they had done and and felt like their progress had been in terms of reaching those goals and, you know, what, what else was, um, was, was in the future for them and what, you know, what they wanted to do. And I think knowing that, then I was able to prioritize a little bit, uh, you know, okay, we need to get, you know, we need to basically put a lot of document, not a lot, you know, put some documentation in place so that, um, you know, anyone who's working with us can kind of come in, pick up, hit the ground running and, you know, and, and do the work. So I think it's, it's kind of like those basic things where you want everybody to be able to be on the same page, to be able to kind of pinch hit for each other and, uh, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily like say, okay, we need, a marketing plan or we need these specific, uh, you know, siloed things. It's like looking at the company, figuring out what the goals are, and then, um, understanding what, like, what are the things we need to do to get there that, you know, that could be anything from, you know, at the time, uh, bolstering our customer support a little bit because, you know, we had, uh, we have uh, a couple folks working on it uh, part time, which is great, and we have um, two folks, actually uh, one person on the West Coast, one person on the East Coast, and that works really well for us. Um, and I think it's like fine tuning as part of that, you know, that more um, that broader roadmap, figuring out how to fine tune all of the little things so that you're not, you know, you're not just saying putting a stake in the ground somewhere and saying like, okay, this is working, it's done, we don't have to worry about it, but if something needs to be adjusted, like you need to bump up customer support because, you know, you're have a bunch of launches coming out, then it's having the flexibility and knowing that that's going to come and go and, and, you know, making those decisions along the way. So you, you guys already have plans on once you join the company to, to continue to grow out the staff and, and all that too? Not, not necessarily, you know, when I joined, I think at, at that point there were, you know, there, yes, there were definitely, um, you know, broad goals and, and a vision of, you know, making the publishing house into something that was, you know, staffed, uh, you know, in, in a way that felt like we were on solid footing, you know, putting books out and working with folks. And I think we're, we're slowly working towards that. And I think, 
we also have just had a really good uh, experience working with with freelancers. And I think that was definitely already, you know, there, the basis of that was already set up when I came on because there were already people working on these great books and people who really loved doing that work. So I've since then, you know, grown our editor pool and, you know, our, our editor network. And, you know, we work with a lot of different authors now. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting things we do with pairing authors and editors. You mentioned that a big part of what you're doing was to identify the processes and then um, create some systems around it and documentation. And I think that that's, uh, I've heard this over time and time again from entrepreneurs that said that that was the key to really unlocking growth and scale in their business. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about that? Like, How did you know what should be outside of the founder's brains and into like an actual written or some kind of system so that it could be more scalable? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the one of the things I ask myself a lot when I'm when I'm thinking about just that is, you know, what needs to be in place for me to be able to walk away, right? And not necessarily like leave, um, because I, I love I love what I do, and I and th- that's not really what it's about. It's more like if you know if I had to be out of commission for a day or you know week or whatever, could someone come in and pick up uh, where? things were left off. And that's literally from, you know, from, for every role, you know, from particularly the, the founders who are, who are still involved on, you know, on, on a, on a day-to-day level or, uh, um, you know, a, a level at which they're, they know what is going on and they, um, they, they need to know, you know, like at, at a high level, you know, what's, what's happening. Um, you know, to everyone who's coming on board and working on a specific project. So I think that's really important. I mean, I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, there was visibility uh, about what needed to happen and when and who was involved. And I think that's really just a simple kind of um, recording that and, you know, making sure that the people who are not just working together on, you know, the start of a project, but like down, down the road and, you know, into when things kind of change over from editing to production, um, who they're going to be working with. And I think just making sure that those introductions happen and that communication happens and that people know where to find the resources are, I I totally agree with that. I think that that, it just, it's, form such a good foundation for people to kind of be able to go in and do the work and not have to worry about, you know, where, how to find something or who to talk to. Mm-hmm. So the, the store owners out there have an idea of when they should be focusing on this. It doesn't seem like it makes sense if you're just, you know, let's say you launched your store last week and all of a sudden you're spending all this time documenting all the things that need to be done. So when, when, do you, when, do you, when do you think a store or a business should start thinking about documenting their processes? I mean, I'm a big, if you ask anyone I work with, I'm a big fan of, of doing that and kind of, you know, recording things and, and, you know, organizing things. So I mean, I would do it right away, but I know that that's not, you know, that's not feasible, um, re- regardless of it's, you know, the, the setup or, um, where things are with the business. But I think one of the things that I noticed is if there was a process or something that we were doing that kind of felt like, I was, you know, trying to remember, like, how did we do this last time? Or why does it seem Mm -hmm. like I'm doing all of this work every single time to kind of try to get to the same goal? I realized, okay, if I step back and kind of, you know, sketch out what is involved here, I think I can kind of pinpoint where the problems are and where the, where the duplication points are so that I can kind of, you know, cut down on that and streamline it. And then the next time, um, you know, that's when I would, you know, either put like a little process sheet together or, you know, say, okay, like here's who to contact for this. And like that goes into GitHub or, you know, um, that type of thing. So that it's, it's a little, it becomes a little bit more like reducing the steps. Mm, Makes sense. So what is the actual process for documenting? Is it all written or is it video or how do you, what does the library look like? Yeah, it's mainly, uh, it's mainly written. I mean, in terms of, you know, we, we use a bunch of different tools. Uh, I use, 
team Gantt a lot for uh, publishing schedules and, and that kind of thing. And we use GitHub a lot for, um, you know, that's where we store all of our book repositories and kind of all of the materials and content that goes along with each uh, book project. Um, and we, you know, we do everything um, like tracking errata and, you know, doing that kind of thing in Google Docs. We use a, a couple different tools. Um, but yeah, you know, I, one of the things that actually this makes me think of uh, really um, a lot is the, a style guide. And we actually started using GitHub. Um, uh, we, you know, we created a wiki to house our editorial style guide. And it's been this amazing project that has kind of unfolded on its own. And I think, you know, at, at some point we would love to make it open source, but um, it's, it's something where we kind of tied Slack to GitHub. And so now we have this style guide that's, that's evolving and growing and there's all this conversation around it, which is just really, really cool. Yeah. I really like the idea of creating a, a wiki for your documentation. I haven't done this because I, I think all that I have is all like stored in Google docs and I feel like I need to migrate into something that is a little bit uh, easier to update. And mm-hmm. a wiki sounds like a, a much better alternative. So speaking of keeping things up to date, like do you, do you, uh, I guess, uh, regularly look over documentation or how do you make sure that none of the steps or processes are redundant or outdated? Like how do you keep it uh, up to date? Yeah, I think, you know, having things in a tool like GitHub makes that a lot easier because not only, you know, can you go in and make sure you're, you know, you're working on the latest version. I think it also just makes it a lot easier to, to update when something needs to change. I, I also really like this uh, because I think it kind of keeps you honest because you have other collaborators on it and, you know, people, uh, people commenting or pulling um, and, you know, working on the same things can kind of say, you know, can kind of keep you in check in terms of, uh, you know, updating things and making sure things are, uh, you know, up to snuff and, and working, you know, and, and useful. Awesome. Yeah, for anyone out there that doesn't know uh, about GitHub, it's just like a way for you to, I guess traditionally was used for, for, for I guess even today is used more for developers that are contributing to a code base, like collectively, like you're saying, um, it allows people to track who's adding what, removing what from, from, the, from the code base or in your, the way that you're using it. Uh, it's being used for documentation. So it might not be applicable for everyone out there, but actually a book apart does have a Git for Humans book if anyone wants to learn how to how to do that and use GitHub. Yes, it's it's fantastic. And you're you're totally right. You hit on something great there because Git, you know, GitHub is so powerful and so robust and it it definitely we u- we do use it for those original uh, uses, you know, like web development and keeping our uh, you know our site uh, maintaining our site and that kind of thing, but we're we're just always like really thrilled that we were able to kind of you know use it for something even further than that. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So um, one thing you were saying earlier about uh, laying out a timeline, not timeline, but like a roadmap for you know many months, a year and a half down the road, was that you figured out what needed to be done. And I think an example you gave was um, bolstering customer support. So when you have the goal like this, that you know maybe at the end of like three months, you want to quote unquote bolster customer support. How does this goal actually roll out into your daily or weekly tasks? I think this is a challenge that a lot of um, us entrepreneurs have, which is we have lofty goals, but then it doesn't actually break down to things that we can do immediately. And then it kind of just sits there and hangs over our head like, man, I got this thing I got to do, but I, you don't make any progress towards it because there aren't any steps to get there. Does that make sense? Like, do you, how do you get <laughs> yeah. past that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a couple of things I, I feel like go into that from my experience. And one is, one is definitely the people you work with. Um, we, we work with just massively, you know, talented, smart, caring people. And I think that's a matter of, you know, not it's a little bit of luck, but it's also just, you know, working with a lot of people and understanding, you know, what kind of questions to ask and making sure that you kind of get a feeling for, you know, what it's going to be like to, to work with something and to work with someone. And I think, you know, conversely, on kind of a more, uh, you know, stern note is, you know, if, if a relationship isn't working, than being okay with, you know, letting it go and finding a relationship that does work with someone who you know is going to not just do the job that you want them to do, but also care and, you know, have the same kind of investment that that you have for uh, making the business and the product what it is. So I think, 
you know, aside from that, there's definitely, we, we wouldn't necessarily, you know, have a plan for rolling everything like that out. But I think what we do is we try to iterate kind of in little um, sort of small movements so that we're, you know, we're seeing how that works and, and assessing it and changing if we need to, or, um, you know, or just like, okay, this is working, keep doing that. Um, so I think in the, you know, in the, in the case of customer support, I think it's, uh, you know, the people and like actually going in there and there's, you know, there's a lot of ways and a lot of, um, areas in which you can kind of, even though it's a personal, more, you know, relationship based thing where you're talking to customers, we use desk, um, which is great. It's a great tool. And I think there are a lot of things that we can see right in desk, you know, are these kind of tickets coming in and, you know, being taken care of on a more regular basis or, you know, what's the response time and, you know, our, our folks, you know, having the same issue over and over again. So I think we can kind of not just have conversations about it, but see actual data about, you know, what's working and what's not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I think, uh, you know, knowing what I know from just talking to you for 40 minutes, it sounds like you do really try to uh, not necessarily get detailed with everything, but have a methodical, I guess, approach. And I, I'm assuming that's the reason why they brought you on. So you don't necessarily just attack the problem that or the goal head on, right? Like, what is the, how do you prepare to take on, on a goal, I guess, is kind of my question. Like, if you have a big goal, uh, maybe not the customer support one, but let's say you have a goal to say, okay, I want to triple my traffic in, you know, six months. How do you actually, because that's not, that's not actionable, right? You can't actually take that and put on your to-do list for that day. And then all of a sudden you're tripled your traffic. So how, what, what is the, um, the approach that, you, that you've taken for yourself or for your team to make sure that there are things that need, that, that get done every week or get done by end of the end of the month to make sure that you are tracking towards a goal to use any tools or any kind of systems to, to make sure that goals are being met? Uh, yeah. And I, I will just say, unfortunately, I wish I could, I wish I could put stuff like that on my to-do list and, and just check no. it out. <laughs> I would pay a lot of money for a to-do list that worked that way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for, for sort of bigger goals where it's, you know, growing audience reach or, you know, um, building, uh, distribution partnerships or, you know, looking at potential right. licensing relationships or whatever. I think I'm a huge, huge fan of, you know, whether it's small or big, um, of, of working backwards. And I think nice. that is something that has always saved, uh, a lot of anxiety for me in looking ahead at, you know, big to do's, because I think it kind of just lets, lets me break it down a little bit. Um, and I think, I'm also a big fan of, you know, spreadsheets and, and things like Team Gantt uh, that let me see something kind of, you know, scheduled out and planned out so that I can kind of tweak the little pieces and parts that need to happen along the way. And I think that's a, that's a really kind of, for me, it has been a really uh, useful approach. And that is, you know, like I said, kind of looking at all of the things that need to happen to get there. Um and then I, I think I really like, I, I love relying on and working with the people I know who can help me with those things. So I think I look for those parts that need to happen. And then I, you know, I ask for help with those things because that, that is the only way it's going to happen. You know, if it's just relying on me, it's going to be on my to-do list forever. I really love that idea of working backwards from your goal. That's something that I've adopted maybe a couple of years ago and has really changed things for me because it's a lot easier to find your way back to the starting point than trying to figure out how to get to some endpoint that you don't even know what looks what it looks like yet. You know, I yeah. think that that's a great idea. And I, one um, method that I've heard, you might know, you know Amy Hoy? Have you yeah. heard of her? Yeah, yeah she's, she's a big proponent of this too. And they, I forget what, I think she calls it the... Uh, Bass Ackward? I forget what it was, but basically <laughs> she has a way where she says that always start with the end goal in mind and then work your way backwards until you reach the point where you have like um, a, a goal or a step 
that can be accomplished tomorrow. And that's just a kind of conceptual thing so that you know that you've broken your goal down enough that you can actually wake up tomorrow and tackle that step. And that's when you know you've hit the kind of end point, not end point, but the next step essentially from from the starting point. Right. And it feels good. It feels good to, you know, be able to have a couple of things on your list that you you can check off and you can say, okay, those, you know, I did those. I'm putting one step in front of the other. And I, you know, I think about that a lot actually. I'm I'm a runner and I, I run a lot. And I think whenever I go out and run, I I, <laughs> I literally think, okay. I love running, but you know, every once in a while there's a day where I just like don't feel like doing it. And I just think, okay, all you have to do right now is put one foot in front of the mm-hmm. other. And it sounds sounds kind of cheesy, but I think that kind of is, you know, is applicable in a lot of situations where you're kind of like, all right, just one thing at a time. Yeah. I mean that's that's the reason why when I hear people say, you know, dream big and all this stuff, I actually am not personally a fan of the idea of dreaming big, not because I don't think you should have big goals, but you shouldn't focus on the big goal right off the bat because it just becomes such a behemoth and it looks like it's unaccomplishable because it's so large. Right. I think you should have these big goals. Like you're, like I think you, you used the term a North Star earlier. You should have this kind of gravitation towards a goal, but don't focus on it so much. Focus on what you can actually do today. Like what the very first step, like in your in your example, the very first step of a run. Focus on that. Don't focus on, I mean, the, don't pay, put your eyes on the finish line, put your eyes on, on the steps in front of you. So I think, right. yeah, I think that's um, a great point. Cool. So I do not want to talk about um, your remote teams. I think that that's where you have the most experience out of all the guests I've had on here. Um, and maybe we can start off with uh, how did you know, maybe you're, you're in your situation, your industry is a little bit different or your business is a little bit different, but how did you know who to hire first for the company? Uh, well, when I came on, we were already working with quite a few folks uh, from editors to, uh, you know, um, customer support to production for, you know, not just print, but ebook. And so that was great. I think, you know, there were, there was already a a base, a group of folks who were, who knew, knew the product, you know, knew what, uh, what was supposed to happen when. And I think that that was really helpful for me. Um, and to be honest, I had actually, I, I came from working at a really big uh, publishing uh, organization. I worked at National Geographic before this and so coming from, you know, a, a very sort of traditional uh, corporate, you know, s- situation where I would go to work every, you know, every day and sit in an office and then coming to a situation where I was, you know, working at a desk at my house or a coffee shop and then mm. and working with people who I wasn't seeing every day it was completely new. And, you know, the, it definitely took me a little while to, to get used to it. I, I knew that's something that I wanted to do because I did work with a lot of people who were, you know, who were not in the office when I, when I had that previous job, but I didn't quite know, you know, what it would be like to, to do that as a, as a, as a like foundation for, you know, no one works together physically. So I think that was, you know, that was something that was actually kind of nice because I was, I was kind of coming into it and learning how to do it along with everyone else, which was, which was, you know, which was really nice. And we definitely, we have made, um, you know, other, I guess you would call it hires, you know, at least in terms of freelance uh, folks along the way. But I think that has definitely, you know, a big part of that is really talking to people. And I, I think like anytime I have started working with a new freelancer, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of conversation that happens before, um, you know, before any work happens. And, and I think, yeah, again, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like having a gut feel. Um, but we're, you know, we're, I just like can't say enough about the, the people that we work with. Everyone is just, is, re- is really wonderful. And I think just cares a lot about not just a book apart, because that's, that's one of the things a lot of these people are working on. Um, they, they really care a lot about the work that they do. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest shocks that that you're talking about earlier was is that when you're working for yourself or working from home, you know, when you are working at a day job or you're working in office, we we kind of fantasize about this life where you know, it's going to be so much fun, be home all the time, but it's a kind of a shock initially because you the whole social aspect is almost gone right out the window, especially <laughs> if you're in your own office and you can spend, you know, days and wow, I haven't seen anybody except for yes. you know, people that live in your in your home. And in my case, right. my dog. So it's like, <laughs> exactly. you don't realize how much you miss being around people. So how do you, I guess, how do you, maybe you personally deal with it? Or maybe how do you help your, your, your employees or your freelancers deal with that situation? Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely rely on, you know, we rely on Slack. We talk on the phone a lot. You know, we email and we, we really, we do really use the, the tools that we have are, you know, at our disposal to, to keep communication open. And I, I think what I found is if, you know, if I need to talk to someone about something and I wait, or if I, you know, if I try to like find the right time or something, then it it may not, may not happen. So even if it's something that I just want to check in really quick on, uh, I just try to find the, the, the best method of doing that at the time. And Mm. Sometimes that means I will email someone or text someone or Slack chat them and say, hey, you know, do you have a second? I want to talk over this one thing. And they might not have a minute then, but at least then, you know, there's kind of like something started and we'll, we'll get to it uh, when they do have time. So I think one of the things that, you know, I guess that is to say that I had to overcome or that I, you know, I had to kind of talk myself into was like just bother people, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's really just, you know, you have to reach out and, and if I'm, you know, if I'm running the business, then I need to, uh, and if I need to talk to someone, then I'm going to talk to them and we'll find a time that works. Obviously I'm not trying to crash anybody's day or, you know, or, um, crash into anything that they're doing, but I think it's really just like raising your hand as much as possible and, um, and, and keeping those lines open. Yeah, I think that that's an important point about how when you are working in the office, usually when you approach somebody that you need their help or you need to work with them on something, it's almost okay, we're doing it right now. Like it's like, right. you know, it's a thing that's right in front of us, let's do it right now. But when it's remote and maybe there are time differences, I'm not sure if there's a lot of time differences between uh, your company. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to, like you're saying, there's a lot of asynchronous work that happens where you want to, you have an idea or you have a thing that you want to work through, but they might not be available at that time. So how do you, uh, I guess, uh, not necessarily compensate for that, but how do you, I guess, deal with uh, any time differences? Are there, well, maybe we'll start there. Are there any big time differences for the people that, that you work with? I mean, not, not bigger than, you know, West Coast, East Coast. And then, you know, a couple of authors and editors we've worked with are in the UK or overseas. And that, you know, that definitely, I think, uh, incurs some planning, which is, you know, which is totally fine. And I think, because everyone is working on, you know, multiple things, um, there's a, I think there's a sort of an innate understanding that, you know, you, you do have to plan a lot of this, which is, which is totally fine, even if it's a half an hour conversation. But I think that actually turns into a a benefit because people really value Mm. not their, not just their time, but Mm. you know, other folks time. So when there's something on the calendar, I feel like I have the the percentage of times where I've, you know, where uh, a call has gone, you know, gone missed or, you know, meeting has not happened is, is so rare because I think people really want to make it happen and, you know, they want to keep things moving. And I think that's also in the nature of, you know, of what we're doing because we're working on uh, producing something that we obviously, you know, we want to release to the world. There's a, there's a, a sense of, uh, you know, wanting to keep things going. So I think people are really, um, you know, they, they want to make that communication happen. And because they're, you know, because I would say most of the people we do work with are, you know, obviously in the States and, and a lot of us are on the East Coast. I love, uh, I, I'm actually in Philly now um, as of the beginning of this year. And I love being in a place where I can, you know, take a train to New York and see a lot of the people that I work with. So I, I really do try to do that as often as I can and, and see people face to face because I, I think that that's just really valuable anytime you can do it. And, and a lot of people may not be able to do that, you know, often, 
But even if, you know, you're, you're really remote and you, you know, you're somewhere where your team is a, a, you know, three or five hour flight away, I think trying to do that like a couple times a year is, is super important. Mm, makes a lot of sense. So I actually had a, a great question that I, I, I saw from um, a listener when I was asking them for questions about freelancers. And they asked, uh, you know, freelancers took the freelancing career path to remain independent and flexible and they're their own bosses. So how do you manage to balance their interests with the goals of the company? Um, I think the the thing that kind of ties us together is, you know, not just a, a love and a care caring for the the actual content that we're producing. But I think, you know, one thing that we, we do maybe, maybe obviously or, or not obviously is, you know, we, everyone we work with is, is paid obviously. I mean, I know that sounds kind of like a no brainer, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think there are a lot of businesses out there that rely on, you know, um, not necessarily favors, but kind of pulling, pulling together and, um, you know, benefiting from like, industry community networking uh resources which is which is totally sometimes you need to do that to to get something off the ground but i think you know we've taken a lot of um a lot of stock into making sure people feel like they're being you know paid and compensated Mm -hmm. for the work that they're doing so that they so that they want to do quality work and i think you know this has definitely been because of experiences i've had you know, I want to feel valued and I want to feel like the work that I'm doing is not just work that I'm proud of, but work that, uh, you know, contributes to potentially an overall goal. And I think that's another thing that I like to do. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people that I work with or freelancers may not be as interested as others in, you know, the, a book of hearts overall goal, but I think it's kind of important for them to know it. So I, I, I try to, you know, I try to relay that so that everyone kind of understands like what the, the, you know, we're all working towards and that it's, that it's not just a, an individual book project, which can often feel like, yeah, and I think you said something in there that that it was a little bit refreshing. And I think what you're getting at is that you can't just hire somebody and then sell them on the vision and then expect to that the vision is going to compensate them and not pay them what what they think that they're worth. You know, you can't just like you're saying you have to make sure that they are compensated if you want them to 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 work hard and actually be proud or be invested in the company, invested in in you know doing a good job. And I think that that's that's really important that you know this idea of just only selling someone the vision hoping that they'll work for free or work for you know lower than than average doesn't doesn't work out especially not in the long run right i think that's important yeah and i think that goes back to you know deciding and making decisions about who to hire or the kind of roles that you may or may not need at a certain point in your business's growth you know if I would love to have a team of, you know, of editors who, who work with all the authors that we work with. And I would love to have, you know, I would love to have sort of different, you know, groups of folks working on things. But the reality is that, you know, a lot of the times that's, that's not possible. So I think kind of identifying, you know, if, if, if it's, if it's one really good, you know, employee or one really good freelancer that you can pay, what their rate is and, you know, get really good product out there, even if it's a little bit slower, I think that's, that's more meaningful and ends up working a little bit better in the long run than trying to kind of, you know, bang out a lot of things, uh, you know, that are maybe not as, uh, you know, as, as not necessarily quality, but, you know, have folks kind of less of their time or energy put into it. Mm-hmm. So, what's the what's the team like? Who's um? What kind of uh roles do you have on, on at the company? So we have uh, a few editors that we work with who are fantastic, and um, you know, the editing process actually uh, ends up being uh, kind of in a, f- a few little phases. Um, uh, there's the develop- developmental part. There's a line edit. There's copy edit. There's you know a lot of different versions. So I think um, in a in a particular book we'll have a couple of editors kind of um, rotating in those roles, which is really nice because that ends up becoming um, more of a collaboration and not just a 
you know, a couple of people working on something. Um, we have two customer service uh, advocates who are fantastic. Again, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. We have someone who works with us uh, freelance, um, pretty part-time at the moment, but we're ramping up a little bit um, for a particular uh, thing that we're about to launch uh, doing web development and, um, you know, some, some design and uh, building there. And then we also work with a compositor who does all of the book layout and gets it ready to go to print, which is like a huge, massive uh, undertaking and has, has become a really big part of our process that we have, <clears throat> that we have streamlined, which is, which is really great. And, uh, and then ebook production. Uh, so we have someone who comes in and is very knowledgeable and, and, you know, specializes in that. So really not just, you know, creates those files, but like helps us understand what the, you know, what the best things to do are in a situation like for video or for links and that kind of thing. So I think, again, that goes back to, you know, really working with people you can rely on for not just getting a job done, but pointing out, you know, where things can be done better or where, you know, you might want to take things in a different direction. So mm-hmm. where have you had success um, finding uh, freelancers or, or, or even like some part-time uh, workers? I mean, definitely, you know, through kind of community and, you know, through the network of people that we are already working with. And I think that is a big, that's a big place to look is kind of, you know, in, in your own backyard, so to speak. Um, we've definitely, you know, along the way for, for various roles we've had, uh, you know, we've done kind of like a Twitter call out and said, you know, we're hiring this specific role or whatever. And we've definitely had, you know, great candidates come through there. But I think more often than not, we are already working with someone who knows someone or, you know, someone who has worked with someone else who, who does this role. And we kind of, we kind of come into it that way, which is great. Cause I think having that, um, that already, you know, that background or, or foundation of working with someone even tangentially already just really helps kind of, you know, bolster that, uh, that relationship. Mm. And so when you, when you do have someone come on, what's the onboarding process? Like how do you get them to understand like what the company's about, like what their, their job is and uh, the exposure to all those, uh, all that documentation that you have? Yeah. And I think depending on the role, it's been, you know, it's been a little bit different for, for each, I guess for each role. And, and a lot of the times, you know, say for, for ebook production, um, we actually, we started working with our current producer, um, I think a couple of years ago now or a year and a half ago. And, you know, at the time we were, um, the, the ebook producer we had been working with was leaving. And so there was kind of a handoff, which was really nice. And it gave us an opportunity to say, uh, you know, here's the process and here's what we've documented so far. But it also allowed us to see that there were kind of some holes that we wanted to fill in terms of, um, you know, the handoff from composition to ebook production. Uh, we wanted to kind of, um, you know, streamline that, streamline that a little bit and also um, see if we could make it a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more efficient. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in onboarding that person, we kind of just, again, I think it's like, definitely not I don't ever want to call it brain dump because that sounds so so like bulky but um I think it's more like you know getting a lay of the land and figuring out what um I think the the two key things that we we want to cover is like what are the struggles and what are we doing that that does work well um that we you know that we can potentially improve upon and I think the the other part because we have because people who we work with now um there's not a lot of really like um, revolving roles, you know, we've been working with the same people for a while now, which is great. Um, editors, I think are the, the one group where we may have new editors coming on board, um, from, from time to time. And I I do work with, uh, one particular editor who has, uh, who, you know, we've kind of worked together to put together an onboarding process, like just having, um, style guides ready and materials for, you know, here are checklists for kicking off a book project, here are checklists for wrapping one up. And I think it's, again, making sure, you know, folks have access to um, not just the tools they need, but just, you know, information. 
Awesome. And when it comes to, I'm not sure there's a, as big of an issue for, for you uh, because you do have these um, more so full-time folks that are already, you know them from your network, um, but do you have to do any like quality assurance uh, involved when you work with remote workers more than if you were, you know, working um, in an office? I don't think, n- not necessarily. And I think, again, that, you know, that, that really ties back to the, the people who are actually doing the job. Um, but, you know, I think there's always a sense of, if you're running the business, there's always a sense of wanting to make sure that anything you put out <laughs> into the world is, you know, that you kind of seen it and signed mm-hmm. off on it. Um, but I think that is definitely something uh, we are all trying to strike a balance with is, you know, um, making sure things are up to snuff in terms of what we think is, you know, the level of quality and, um, you know, the, what kind of experience we want people to have with our product and also not getting in our own way, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and like blocking that from happening because we're putting so many, um, you know, so many points of, of, um, quality control into it. And that's not to say that we don't do it. It's just, you know, like I said, we kind of want to make sure that we're doing it, um, in a, in an effective way. Yeah. It makes sense. Cool. So what's, uh, what's in store for uh, the remainder of this year? What are some goals that you want to hit for a book apart? Uh, well, we are going to have some new hire news very soon. Like that's really all I can say about that, but it's very exciting because it, it will be a, a new uh, staff position, which is, um, really great. And I think will definitely help us uh, reach some of these goals. But we have uh, about 20 books in the catalog at this point, which is super exciting. And we've got uh, between, I'd say, like five to seven new titles that are in the pipeline for, for this year and early next. So definitely working on those. And we, we just, two of those are um, the second set of brief books that we just launched earlier this year. And that's a, an ebook only book that we are trying as a format. Um, and those are even shorter books. So those are around 30 to 50 pages. And they're kind of like deep dives or, you know, an essentials look at uh, a particular topic. So we're, we're, yeah, we're kind of experimenting a little bit and, you know, getting a little bit of runway to do that. So we're very excited growing the catalog and, and looking at um, putting a little bit more, uh, a little bit more weight behind marketing efforts and, and working with partners. Very cool. That's great news. Thanks so much, Katel. So bookapart.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out, they want to follow along with you know, a book apart or what you're, what you're up to? Uh, sure. We are on Twitter at a book apart and Facebook. You can find us there. Um, and yeah, we blog every once in a while about what our authors are up to. And, and that's just on the blog portion of the website. So definitely stay up to date there. And we have a newsletter, so you can always sign up and we send out lots of good stuff like sales and, and uh, new book releases there. Very cool. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial. 